Broadcasting from deep in the Eublifaris galaxy, on a small planet called Gekonia, east of the albino hills and south of the raging leucistic river, comes the one, the only, Gecko Nation Radio. Good evening, my fellow gecko enthusiasts and reptile uh, people out there. It's uh, it's another great Sunday night, and I am uh, just very excited to be doing tonight's show. And um, tonight's show, uh, by the way, today's date is uh, February 23rd, 2014. And tonight's show is all about morph making. And we're going to talk about how breeders go ahead and make decisions about designing morphs and uh, what kind of planning is involved and strategies and challenges that breeders are faced with. Um, And for tonight's episode, uh, I invited two of, uh, number one, my favorite breeders in the world and also two breeders that I feel are overly qualified for this task of uh, our particular discussion tonight, and that is Ron Tremper and Rebecca Hassler of Dragoon Gecko in Germany. And uh, Ron and Rebecca, two of my favorite people. I'm really looking forward to this. Now, a uh, breeder that has some exposure out in the gecko community, I get a question from a lot of new people, uh, what is a good morph to start with? And I often tell people, you're asking the wrong person because I- I'm addicted to leopard gecko morphs, and I love all of them. So how can I tell you what's a good morph to start with? And, uh, you know, I'm just totally, completely enthralled with them. So basically, if you're new to leopard gecko morphs, you're going to see all these different colors and patterns and just amazing creations out there that breeders have developed over the last uh, several decades. And uh, it's up to you to basically discover what colors and patterns uh, appeal to you. It's kind of like... Um, developing a taste for art. You know, some artists you'll see it paint in a certain style, perhaps, and uh, you may find it appealing enough to put it on your wall in your house. It, the same applies to to leopard geckos today. These are uh, these are expressions of living art, as Ron would say, and uh, I have to completely agree. And uh, many breeders have been working on certain projects for years. And you can, when, when you develop an eye for this and a taste for this, you'll be able to see their vision. You'll be able to see their work and everything that's gone into these amazing projects. And uh, it's, it's not easy. Um, but it can be easy for you to make investments into some of these beautiful animals that breeders have spent so many years working on. And, and that's, that, again, depends on your level of commitment. So tonight we're going to have two of the best morph makers on the planet Earth right now and we're going to gain valuable insights into the process of designing these amazing morphs. Um, And, you know, anybody out there can do this as long as you acquire the right knowledge and have a vision. So stay tuned. I'm going to play a quick sponsor plug because Gecko Nation Radio would not be possible without our amazing sponsors. And these uh, sponsor plugs are sincere. Check them out. Gecko Nation Radio is a David Fine Gecko's creation and production. 
you can visit the show's Facebook page at Gecko Nation Radio. I also have a great family-friendly group on Facebook called Gecko Nation. Apply for membership today. Gecko Nation Radio is sponsored by Rainbow Mealworms is the largest worm grower in the world and selling to the public since 1956. If you need the highest quality mealworms, superworms, and crickets for your pets, contact them at www.rainbowmealworms.net. Gecko Boa Reptiles is your source for the highest quality leopard gecko morphs and wild types, from white and yellows to radars, amazing tremper morphs, and rare subspecies. John is a world-class breeder and extremely knowledgeable. If you're looking for something truly special in geckos, contact John Scarborough at geckoboa.com and on Facebook. abdragons.com is your source for the highest quality doobie roaches, whether you're starting a colony of your own or just need feeders for your insect-eating herps. abdragons.com can't be beat in quality or price. They are also a huge distributor of FlexWatt reptile heat tape and have very competitive pricing. Check out abdragons.com online and on Facebook. Dale's Bearded Dragons is your one-stop source for any reptile supply products that you may need from Exoterra, Zoomed, Rapashi, Repcal, Fluker, and much, much more, and all at 20 to 50% cheaper than your local pet store or big chain pet store. They are also the biggest reptile supply distributor at most of the Northeast Expos. Contact them directly online at dalesbeardeddragons.com or message me on Facebook and I'll put you in touch with the owner. And if you're looking for quality food for your dubia roaches, crickets, mealworms, and superworms, look no further than MS2 Premium Insect Chow. Made with reptiles in mind, it contains no dog food, cat food, or chicken mash. Using only vegetable proteins and high quality ingredients, MS2 Premium Insect Chow will have your feeders making a beeline for it. Contact MS2 ENT dot weebly dot com or it can also be purchased at rainbow mealworms and ab dragons okay everybody and we do have a few new sponsors that i'd like to mention of course and uh number one is uh wally from supreme gecko uh if you'd like to uh check out what wally's working on he's got some really nice crested geckos and micro geckos um ranging all different sizes, mostly, I'm really impressed with his really small micro geckos, a lot of different little day geckos and stuff, um, really, really nice uh, array of uh, all kinds of things that you don't normally see too often. So definitely go ahead and check out www.supremegecko.com. Also, uh, we have Reptiles Express. Reptiles Express is the biggest and best shipping company for reptiles. Uh, www.reptilesexpress.com. Their customer service is unmatched when it comes to this uh, process. And a lot of people are new to shipping animals. If you're a new breeder and you're you're probably nervous about the whole process, you're not sure how it works, uh, this is, this number one, Debbie is their customer service uh, representative, and she's going to make this so easy for you and so painless. Uh, give her a call, tell her I sent you, and you'll have no problem shipping your animals. And they're always there to make sure that these packages are monitored every step of the way. So uh, that'll give you a good peace of mind. Uh, last but not least, we have Ohio Gecko. OhioGecko.com. Thad is very well known for his amazing work with tangerines and some very interesting fat tails. So check out OhioGecko.com. 
Um, he's also got some really cool uh, line, line bread, uh reduced pattern or reduced uh, contrast snows that he's working on that I think are very unique. Um, and he's also been on the show in the, in the past. So definitely check that out. Um, in addition to OhioGecko.com, Pat is also the owner and moderator of Gecko Forums. And if you are new to the world of geckos, you're going to want to absorb as much information as possible. You're going to want to find out all about them and who's who and where do these amazing things come from. You're going to want to find that one place to get that information, and that's this. Did you know that since 2006, there's been a treasure trove of history and information on leopard geckos and other species? Well, Gecko Forums is the most extensive database of leopard gecko history on the web right now. Take a look and delve into the past, present, and future of this great community. The biggest contributors, breeders, and hobbyists have left their mark there. Now it's your turn. Look, learn, and post away. Need a place to post animals for sale? Look no further. Visit geckoforums.net and become a member today. Gecko Nation Radio is proud to be the official radio show associated with Gecko Forums. And that is right. We are proud. I want to thank everybody that made it to the Hamburg Reptile Show yesterday. It was a great time. Uh, really cool seeing everyone there. Uh, I'm feeling a lot better, by the way. My pneumonia is gone, and uh, I'm ready to do the show. And on Tuesday, we have a special episode, John Fultz of Breeder Circle. And we're going to talk all about ball pythons. We're going to talk about his business, Herp Life, and uh, a bunch of other interesting topics. So definitely tune in to Tuesday's show. But for now, I'm going to go ahead and bring on our morph makers. And let's go ahead and grab, I see Rebecca is here. Rebecca Hassler, you are live on Gecko Nation Radio. Hi. How, How are, are you? you? I'm doing great. <laughs> How, are, how are you doing? Fine, thank you. Oh, uh, cool. I'm, I'm, I'm no, I know it's very late there. What time? Uh, what time of the morning is it for you? Uh, two a.m. Actually. So. Oh wow. Yeah. <laughs> that, that makes it even more special for you to join us tonight. Thank you very much. Yeah, I'm that. I'm doing everything for this show. <laughs> I'm really awesome. excited to All be right. a part of it. Thank you so much for oh, inviting is, me. Of course, this is going to be one of our, I think, legendary episodes because there's so many people that really want to learn about morph making, and I think you and Ron are just the perfect people for it. So I'm going to go ahead and grab Ron and Mr. Ron Tremper. You're live on Gecko Nation Radio. Hey, 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 Dave. Hey, Rebecca. Hey, Gates. How are Hi, you? Ron. Things are good here in Texas. We had 81 degrees today. I'm in the been working in the hallways all day in in shorts and sandals. Oh man, <laughs> I'm so jealous. I'm jealous. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's freezing up uh, here still. Yeah, and all I've right, been working well, on some working on some mark making today. Oh, I bet. There's always something going on over there, right? <laughs> Oh, yeah, we get about 1,200 boxes, so there's something happening. Nice, nice. All right, well, I think we're, uh, Ron and Rebecca and I, we uh, we went over some uh, topics during the week that we think would be good for everyone, uh, that would help everyone out there, and we're going to cater the show towards uh, to, to new uh, hobbyists and also to uh, seasoned breeders. I think, uh, I think everybody will get something out of tonight's episode. 
So I think uh, a good place to start would be, and I'm going to pose this question to, uh, we'll go with Rebecca first and then Ron. Uh, many new people coming into the world of morphs today are very confused about genetics, and uh, but they do have a very strong interest in developing their own uh, special projects. Uh, Rebecca, what, what kind of advice can you give someone that's new to the world of morph making, and uh, what can you advise them on how to start? All right. Uh, first of all, uh, I have to say that the underst proper understanding of genetics is indeed essential in order to get anywhere, especially if you want to start out with a special project or if you're interested in keeping the quality of um, the lines you just got into your breeding stock. So this is really, really a point that many people don't take serious enough and that is really crucial for reproducing and holding good quality. So breeding in my eyes and in my personal opinion is just not simply reproducing, it's improving. And so bad news first, without uh, this proper understanding, it's very, very hard uh, even keep the quality alive uh, that, that you have, that you purchased. And the risk is very high that you are reaching a dead end somewhere and wondering how to get there or how you got there. So um, I think that um, being aware of the importance of, of uh, an understanding how the genes work and what's going on when you're pairing one gecko to another uh, is very, very important. And I think the second thing should be uh, that concerns many people that are new into this is how to get the right information, how to get this basic understanding. And um, in, in my personal uh, opinion and due to my own experience, I can really recommend as a first step not to start with the research on the Internet as we are uh, seeing many false informations over there, also some very good ones, but it's it can get really tricky for a beginner to, you know, recognize and tell apart one from another. So it's really good to start, and, and I highly recommend uh, starting out with books, as in written form, uh, most information has to be approved in order to, to get through the print. So uh, two things that I really can recommend for beginners are genetic for dummies. I think it's also... Um, available as an e-book. And of course, uh, I really have to mention this here, uh, Ron Tramper's books are definitely one of the best sources uh, you can get. There are many detailed morph uh, descriptions over there, and I've used it so many times in my first years, and it helped me really a lot uh, getting through the, the difficulties that come with starting uh, breeding and looking for quality. So uh, please start out with the literature, be patient while reading, repeat if necessary, um, and then go on and search the Internet. And this will give you a very useful tool, a very powerful tool to uh, check back and select the good one, the good information in the Internet and, and recognize the correct information that are out there and identify the false ones. So. Mm -hmm. I I agree 100%, and that's that's kind of like what separates the uh, just the average breeder from the so 
from the you know soon to be legendary breeder, wouldn't you say, Rebecca? Oh well, what's a legendary breeder? <laughs> um, well, I mean, this this by, uh, this part from Ron, of course, really... but yeah, mm-hmm. I, I think it it is really important to yeah to to be aware what you want. Do you simply want to to reproduce geckos, or do you want to get somewhere? And in order to get somewhere, you have to know mm-hmm. the direction. It's like going in your car and then knowing where to drive. It just doesn't yep. make any sense to me. So. Yep, exactly. Rod, what would you like to add to this uh, to this part of the topic? Well, I totally agree with Rebecca. You know, we just see this all the time, and. Uh, it's so important for the beginners to find a safe haven for on information and so forth. Even the most well-meaning uh, websites and internet uh, web pages uh, can't always offer the complete time and advice and right uh, answers to the beginners. So I, I agree with Rebecca wholeheartedly. Uh, appreciate uh, uh, her mentioning my book. Um, but it's so important because the beginners get out there. It's kind of like, you know, you don't know what's wrong with your body. You don't know which doctor to go to and trust or something, you know. And so everybody, you know, knows that when they go to the doctor for an illness or a problem, that doctor's been through school and been certified and you pretty much can count on the doctor giving you good advice and treatment and and taking care of your problem, whereas on the Internet, it's it's really a tough jungle to navigate for the beginner. I, I'm glad that I didn't have to deal with that and, uh, myself. And uh, But, uh, you know, all the time I get people calling me and or writing me and saying, you know, is the sky really blue? And I say, yes, the sky's blue. And they said, well, somebody else said it's yellow. And... And I say, well, you know, I'm sorry, the sky's blue today. Uh, it's not yellow. It's not brown. And, uh, yeah, but these people have a web page, and they're saying this, this, and that, and they're saying you're wrong. And I said, well, I'm sorry, but the sky's blue, and it's going to be blue, and that's all there is to it. And so you get all these beginners that want to try to question things and seem a little bit lost. You know, we're in an age here where, it's instantaneous gratification. You know, if somebody sends you a text, you're frustrated in five minutes later if they don't respond to you. And, um, you know, the Europeans, I've spent a lot of time in, in Europe and about 20 trips to Germany and and did a lot of work over there. And, you know, the Europeans are a little more fundamental about things. They a lot of breeders don't feel it's proper to breed females at nine, ten months of age, wait till they're two years old, and and there's a little bit more of a, uh, I'd say a little more high level of, of wanting to know all the facts and getting the right information and moving along slowly. But be that as it may, um, the, the people starting a project, yeah, I always tell people, they buy the, you know, the prettiest pair of geckos you can get and try to make sure that they're matched bloodline and deal with uh, the best people. The problem is is that 
you know, there's the big box stores or, you know, just buying a, uh, a gecko at a pet shop no matter where you are in the world. And then people discover there's something more. There's this whole underground of serious, cool breeding and, oh, my gosh, and everybody goes off buying, 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 what I call acquisition fever. And uh, so it gets a little crazy. Uh, but just for instance, you know, I don't know if we're going to – can I go into a little bit of an example of just starting out with one pair of geckos and what's in front of a breeder? Please, Ron, absolutely. Yeah. Well, for instance, let's just say someone has a normal leopard gecko and an albino leopard gecko, and they want to make more albinos with just those two geckos. So they're going to breed their first two geckos together, and all the offspring are going to carry the traits of both the parents because being a normal gecko is dominant over being albino. You're going to see all the babies look normal, but they're going to be carrying the albino trait. Okay, you breed those together. You, let's say you buy a pair right now. You breed those together, and in, at the end of this year, you're going to have probably about eight babies. You know, you're a beginner, and maybe your female has a less than eight surviving young, maybe a few more. But you're going to have eight babies, and I suggest you make those babies two males and six females. And so now you've got these babies all have what we call double heads. They all they carry the head, head trait of the albino, and, and they're a normal and uh, just a single head uh, trait. And so at the end of the second year, they've got to realize that that now there's six females have had eight babies each, maybe ten, and they're starting their after 24 months. They already have 70 geckos, and you know when they breed the uh, the heads to each other, they're going to have all oh, 25% albinos that they started out to get. So you can apply this to any kind of uh, cross if you have a jungle albino times a raptor and you want to make jungle albinos with all red eyes uh, it's the same sort of process there uh, as I mentioned earlier it would be a, a double head trait uh, breeding but you end up with uh, you know 60 70 geckos you're only going to have about 12 that you started out wanting to create so there's a lot of boxes. I think what happens is a lot of people get disenchanted after one year and they kind of give up. And so we see a lot of mutts, you know, mixed breed geckos out on the market and people calling up and or sending pictures and, and all of that. So there's a lot of, you know, having a plan is really important. Knowing what that plan is is really important to realize that you're going to have 60 or 70 geckos in less than 24 months and some product that maybe you don't want to keep. So it's quite an undertaking if you want to really kind of create or breed something yourself. Yeah, I agree. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, and one of the things with the new people coming on board is you mentioned acquisition fever. Um, I'll pose this to Rebecca. Rebecca, when someone is, you know, they've seen a, an amazing gecko. Say they, they ventured online and they saw an amazing lavender jungle, albi line bred snow perhaps, and 
<laughs> they're just enthralled, and they have to have this morph. Um, how do they figure out who the better breeders are or the best sources for this for their particular uh, desire well, is? First of all, I do not say that only one breeder might have the quality you're looking for, but it's definitely a bad idea if I want to go buy a Porsche and then I go to Fiat and buy a red car. You know what I mean? It's still mm-hmm. a red car, but there is a good reason why lines are different. Many people uh, fail to realize that although some geckos might have uh, similar genetics, there is a very strong factor uh, also there uh, taken into consideration, and this is uh, polygenetic or line-bred influenced uh, traits, meaning that almost every breeder, if he has the knowledge, has the chance to refine morphs to give them your unique fingerprint, which is also what we do here at Dragoon Gecko. We did not invent it the ghost, we did not invent many things that we breed, but we just changed a little bit the appearance and made them, I hope, so I hope, uh, unique and, and uh, yeah, uh, easy for people to, to tell apart from other lines. So whenever you're interested in a morph, you really have to inform yourself first, what is it? If it's simply, if your goal is simply a max no, you will find tons of breeders that are able to uh, sell you a high-quality, nice Maxno. So in this case, I will say just go ahead and buy wherever you feel comfortable from and, and don't mind so much. But whenever you're going, let's, take, yeah, let's stay with this example. The, the always lime-bred snows are not so often around anymore. In combination with lavender and jungle and stripe, it's getting really, really tricky. So there are not many people breeding them. And if you're definitely in love with a bloodline that one breeder creates, in my eyes it doesn't make really sense, much sense switching off to something else just because it might be a few bucks cheaper. And then, you know, being frustrated and, and angry because you don't get the same results. I mean, um, Ron and I have been in contact for some years, and I've purchased, uh, purchased some of his animals over the years simply because of this simple fact that I really liked what I saw and that I wanted just this line and just those geckos. And this is always my main goal behind uh, uh, any purchase, that, that I want the highest chances of reproducing yeah, what I see. I mean... To expect uh, that someone on Craigslist or whatever in, in some forum who is not known and just offers electrics, really has electrics, I mean, yeah, it, it, it can be difficult here because it, it might be that you're lucky and that this person is a great person, but you can also be getting scammed. And this is what, what I see uh, with certain traits in the last time that many animals at least that are sold as this or that do not really exhibit the quality the the visual markers of being worth of the name and I I think what I see with many responsible breeders is that they don't sell animals with a certain name that you know 
exhibit none of the characteristics, and that's what I see, yeah, with many not so known people. So um, I don't think there is any bad intention behind it, but I highly recommend if you dealing with complicated genetics, you might want to check who has them and who has them in a quality that you agree with, and then you're free to choose whatever you want. Absolutely. And, it, and you know, there's so many breeders out there today, and it's, it's just incredibly difficult to navigate things. Um, so I, I agree. Now, um, Ron, I would, I would pose this part of the question to you. Um, now, we're talking about new people that are coming in, and they, they want to get involved with morph making. You know, I would say there's 10 people coming in, and uh, they, they really love the morphs. They want to start breeding something cool. Um, out of those 10 people, how many do you think actually go on and do it the right way? For instance, how many will do the research, find out the, the, the great bloodlines, invest in the right animals, and then proceed in the right direction doing it the correct way? How many out of that 10 do you think will actually do it that way, Ron? Less than one. Less than one, so maybe a half, right? Half of one person. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> in other words, in other words, five out of a hundred. Right. Right. You know, but, and, uh, and that's that's good in a way too, though, right? Because you know, it's it's good. It's basically the 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 analogy: the cream rises to the top, and and the right people will uh, basically get to the right point. What do you think? Yeah, I think that that, that, that's true. You know, all all of us, you know, it it can be frustrating. I I just did a show last weekend with my son, the NARBC show up in Arlington. It was a great show. I could only be there one day, but I I did well and uh, met a lot of nice people and and all. But I went around and, and looked. There was a couple other tables with, with geckos, and, you know, you see things that are obviously mixed, you know, not pure sun glow or, or not pure tangelo or, or they're, you know, very skinny and sick looking, and some of this stuff still is at shows, and, you know, we can only control ourselves. The hardest thing in the world is watch some of these people so frustrated and, and quit, and, you know, and I do my best. I know that all three of us, you know, try to help everyone, and that's why we're on this show tonight where, you know, we don't get paid for this, and certainly uh, you're not getting rich with a radio show, Dave. And, uh, not yet. And, uh, you know, Rebecca, you know, doesn't have any sleep tonight, and so we're all doing this because we care about what we're doing, and we can only do what each of us can do and kind of spe- spread the word and and keep a high standard. I, I'm constantly, you know, it's like the dog breeders. Let me tell you, you, you bring a, a mixed breed dog to a, a dog show, everyone would know instantly, and they wouldn't even be, you know, part of the the party. So it's kind of crazy when we see, uh, you know, you walk through the Hom show or anywhere uh, at a reptile show where there's a lot, and you just see a lot of misrepresented animals. Maybe it's on purpose, maybe not. And, um, you know, it's it's out there polluting the gene pool. 
But I, every day people are sending me pictures of what I call mutts. They're just mixed morphs, and they want to know what it is and what they can do with it and all of that. And it's really, you know, it's like they uh, are lost in space. Uh, you know, they, they, they lost their lifeline, and they're just floating out there, and there's nothing they can really do with these, this gecko. Uh, they don't know what traits it's carrying or anything. So... You know, it's the beginners need to be careful. I, I always wondered why uh, customers buy, like, one gecko from one breeder and, an, and then a, a mate for it from another breeder and and mix these these lines. And like Rebecca was saying, you know, there's, there's many colors of green and different shades of green and all kinds of variations of green. And you go look at paint samples, you see that. And so when someone starts breeding something for three or four generations, they create their own little individual line. We've seen this with all the hypo variations. There's blood and electric and extreme and, and uh, you know, uh, the uh, all the different ones. And, and so you... You know, these are all each person kind of fine-tuning. For years, I, I wondered why, you know, people didn't just buy my geckos and breed my geckos to my geckos. And it, it was like over 20 years before anybody did that, they would always buy some of my geckos and then buy geckos from other people and breed a sun glow with a raptor or breed a, a tangelo with a extreme memory or something different and you know even though I would tell them look I did that four years ago and then they, they they look ugly and or it doesn't improve the line and so I think communication is good that's what we're doing on this show and and uh, uh, would, how would you rate Rebecca the seriousness of of the beginners in Germany these days Oh, it really depends. <laughs> um, right. I have to say that uh, I'm not as much in, in the forums and social uh, places in the Internet simply due to the fact that breeding is not a business for me. It's a hobby. So I really uh, need much time to uh, get my study done, <laughs> and I'll do my very best. And I can honestly say that I never disappointed my customers in, in taking care of them. But of course, I can't, you know, go around and 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 you know, like with a holy Bible, and and you know, convince everyone, everybody to follow my personal beliefs. I mean, sometimes you realize that you're quite alone in the field. <laughs> Sometimes you get some nice surprises from other breeders, and, and they are thinking oh. the same, and they are so glad that somebody is touching the, the topic and uh, trying to do something. You also always get a bit of criticism. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm not really uh, afraid to that. I got a good sense of humor, so it's fine with me. So right. yeah, I mean, one of the points that. Uh, you already touched on is that for breeders it's also very frustrating to see people coming to us with high expectations, high beliefs, and sometimes they they really invested money in this. It's it's not just 
you know, those bad people that expect that the $1 million gecko from the $1 gecko they buy at PetSmart or whatever, most of the times I really see people that invested several hundred bucks, which is a lot of for these people, but they invested it in, you know, 30 or 50 low-quality animals instead of a few selected good ones. And that also has to do with how we value our geckos. And you um, just said it right, we need to step away from thinking that a leopard gecko is worth a certain amount of dollar and not more. If you are seriously interested in breeding, you can breed for different kinds of investments. You don't need to go with the top of the top, with the newest and, and highest uh, geckos, you don't need to breed neon bells or whatever. You can start out with nice hypos and nice pastas, and they will be in a fair price range, but you have to be uh, able to realize and cherish good quality. So, I mean, I started out with 50 bucks as a, as a, as a yeah, still a school kid. So I made sure that the first male that I bought for this 50 bucks that was all that I had. I just bought one male, and he had to be really the best that I could find for this amount of money. And then I waited, and I saved up and got a female. And, they got significant, and I got significantly better results than, than I would have with an average female. So I was able to uh, get a better quality out of it. I was able to um, shortcut some steps. And uh, it, it is really always worth um, the, the, the time and, and the money that, that you put in. So you can't really expect going anywhere if you don't know what you want and how to get it and how to set apart good breeders from bad breeders. Pectoc echoes do not make good breeders. And it makes me so sad if I have to tell this people and then they are unhappy and sometimes really depressed because, yeah, they invested a few hundred bucks in, in a bunch of geckos that I would never really consider for breeding. And, and now I'm in the position of telling this, peop this person that the truth is what actually destroys their hopes and dreams. So I really don't want to be in this position. I, I would love to say, yeah, it's fine, just go on. But I know what will happen, and I just can't. So... Yeah, it okay. is sometimes no. not really easy doing the right thing. I understand. Yes, you're absolutely right, Rebecca. My first year of uh, acquiring animals um, for breeding, this was going back uh, five years now, and um, I was I was not skilled in in you know finding the best ones, and I spent a lot of time you know just buying geckos on looks alone from various. Uh, sellers at expos, and so my first season was basically a disaster, and um, I quickly learned in, in my second and third seasons, you know, the better ways of doing this and the better way of acquiring genetics, and, you know, now I'm at the point where I'm confident in my own lines and in where I get my animals from, so, you know, it is something that I, I also feel, though, that sometimes people need to learn the hard way. They're not going to learn the value buying or spending that extra money on that quality animal until they've experienced the vet bills or the the loss of the animal from whatever uh, 
you know, if, if it affects them emotionally and with their wallet, it, sometimes people learn that way. Uh, unfortunately, it's just the human condition, I think, sometimes. But, um, you know, Ron touched on something, and uh, he was beginning to talk about bloodlines. And um, when someone, say the person is at the point now where they've, they've gathered the correct information, they know what they want, uh, they've acquired uh, the right animals, but they like two different breeders' lines. So, for instance, uh, and I ran into a similar issue where I was really stuck between Ron Tremper's sunglows and Marsha McGinnis's sunglows. I fell in love with both of them. And I have both of them, both bloodlines here, of course, And but I also wanted to try to eventually create my own line of sunglows. So the first season I crossed uh, one of Ron's to one of Marsha's. And so I basically got a bunch of uh, sunglows that just didn't look great. They were basically a mix of the two because sometimes tangerine genes don't line up correctly, as you both know. And then I had to breed the siblings together. So now I'm into that next season. The siblings are, are coming together. At what point would I be able to say, okay, I started out with these two great bloodlines of sunglows. When can I actually call it the David's Fine Geckos line of sunglows? How many generations have to pass? And this goes for other people out there that are starting their own projects. Um, with with other breeder stock, how many generations have to pass before they can confidently say, this is my bloodline now? And I'll pose this to you, Rebecca. And Ron, <laughs> you can go next. <laughs> um, do you want the polite or the honest answer? <laughs> Both. You're German. You're German, Rebecca. Give us the honest answer. Oh, I love to be polite, so I, I, I say the truth and as polite as I can. So, I think for, we we talked about this topic with other breeders, I don't know, countless times because this is really, really a point that's bothering many beginners and experienced people alike. It's always a challenge, first of all, uh, to promote or present something new. People just dream about it and think, ah, oh, the goal is to have something new. No. I mean, this is just where it starts. Um, so whenever you have the feeling you could have something unique or you're working on something unique, you have, I think you, you have to fulfill or your project has to fulfill to the fullest two characteristics. First of all, they have to be, and this is crucial, Every gecko is individual. We know that. There is always a stripe and a shade and a little pattern different. But I'm talking here about the whole project as such. If you take out five or ten animals, put it in a box, and set it next towards others, you have to, they have to significantly be unique and different, both, to what is already existing on the market. And second of all, and this is the tricky part right now, you have to be able to reproduce this uniqueness constantly, meaning in every generation. It does not make any sense promoting the, you know, I don't know, pink panther morph when they hatch out in every five generation once. I mean, honestly, who would want to buy it? I mean... This is something that, that is really, really crucial. And I, for one, as someone that is working uh, primarily with polygenetic traits, um, 
I always like to uh, shut up until I'm very, very sure that it could be something new and until I can prove those two points. And this goes only with, you know, data, keeping data and showing that these results just don't come from, you know, just breeding the same parents over and over again, but that you can, you know, reproduce this trait over a few generations. And then you have to, and I think this is the third and most important step, you can't just go there and say, you know, I'm new and nobody knows me, but, you know, this is a new morph and this is the next big thing. Uh, trust is everything in this business, really. This is your most precious uh, uh, item ever in this community. You can't get anywhere with this. Um, so in order not to lose your good reputation, you really need to be very sure of what you are presenting. And you also have to let the community decide. I mean, I'm reading projects that I just call projects that I really love. And nobody's really interested in them. It's just me, but I don't care. It's just for me and for the fun part of the hobby. And I have others that I don't consider as lines, and people say, oh, yeah, it's, it's a line or it's whatever. So it's not only your opinion alone. If other people don't see a difference, I mean, we all love our geckos. I love mine to the end of the world, and, and I'm also as kennel blind as every breeder is. I think this is a good thing, <laughs> or not always a bad thing. But, um, yeah, you really need to give the, the society as such the right to decide whether they want your project to be a morph or not. And if they don't, it doesn't mean that this is set in stone. It maybe needs that you just need to relax a little and step back and breed another two or three generations and then see what happens. Many people expect buying a pair from me, breeding them together or crossing them with something and then calling it their own line. It's ridiculous. And it's also an insult to the people who really created this line. I mean, I would never call my lines of electrics the Dragoon Gecko electric line because they are just not. They are pure electrics, and they are bred by Kelly. And she has put so much work and efforts in it, and same goes for, for the Tramper Jungles or whatever. They are what they are. They are not my Rebecca's super-duper special whatever. They can be nice geckos anyway. So <laughs> I think this is um, the most secure and way and also the way that gives you the most respect because, I mean, honestly, when we are talking about morphs, it's not so much having the next new thing or, or I think for most beginners, it's, it's not really about getting something new. It's about this respect and getting known and, and getting yeah, attention from others, but you can't force and, and push that. You really have to Absolutely earn it. And this goes over trust and over, you know, proving and not just claiming if I can't prove what I claim, I'm, I'm, I'm a dead man. So um, <laughs> I think this is really a good thing, doing your homework, being patient, keeping your little secret. I mean, this can also be a fun part, a mysterious part. But, yeah, make sure that, that you can fulfill those categories. And I'm almost pretty, pretty sure that you can't really go wrong with it. And, Rebecca, just for the record, I haven't, and I've made any announcements that I have a new line of sunglasses. I'm just 
I just put that out there, <laughs> okay? Oh, no, I, I didn't mean that. It was not offensive at all. <laughs> and not to anyone here, please. I mean, I'm not bashing <laughs> beginners, and I'm not bashing other breeders. We are, as Juan said, we are just here to help, to discuss some important points, and, and to give an input. I mean, everybody, of course, here is free to make his own decision and go his own way, and nobody can put that weight from your shoulders. You are your own master, in, in gecko breeding, mm-hmm. you decide what right. you want and which way you go. And this is to answer Ron's question before, how I guide people. I mean, this is the only thing that I can do and, in my opinion, the only right way for me personally. I never tell people what to do. I give them options. I can clearly tell them which options they have and what would be the benefits and what would be the risks. And then I leave them to make their own decision but fully aware of what will happen, also in positive mm-hmm. things, and I've made the best experience with that. And, and I made, a, uh, to say something positive here, I made some really, really great experiences that, that you can really pr- trust most people on this because if they are fully aware of the whole spectrum, they will instinctively, in most cases, just um, choose what's not only best for them, but also best for the animals. Mm-hmm. I agree. Now, Ron, uh, coming into this, uh, we want to let's let's talk right now about. All right, we want to start and design our own morph. And now we're at the point where we've we've acquired uh, the the good animals, the correct animals that we need for the project. We've done our research. Um, now the next step is basically adding our own, um, I guess, vision to the project and. Uh, I'll pose this to you, Ron. Now, what would be some of those starting points in um, beginning the project? What does what a, a new breeder look for uh, as far as color, pattern, and uh, what are some of the things that we want to look for as far as selecting our, our, uh, our breeding, our stock? Well, that's a pretty tough question. That, Like Rebecca said, you, you, just, you really have to pick what your goal is, what your vision is, or your dream gecko, and work backwards. And so, you know, if it's three or four genetic traits in one gecko, this could take some time to lay that down. So basically, you have to form a goal, you know, and you have to know, as I talked earlier, how many darn cages and blanket boxes you're going to need and so, you know, you just have to, there's still some, there's some, even though the building blocks are really less than than 15 or 20 genetic traits now, um, we, you know, there's only seven recessives known, uh, even though with this small amount, the uh, combinations are getting uh, vast. And so there's still possibilities to make uh, something a new combo morph, you know, uh, a reverse stripe uh, hypo-eclipse or a eclipse bandit or a, um, you know, a super giant electric or, or whatever. And so, um, you know, people have to pick a goal. Now, so many people that get started, and, and most of my retail buyers in the United States are just 
been in it one or two years. After, you know, either they move on and do better and then they don't need to buy Gecko so much anymore. And, uh, I mean, I'm watching your path, David, and, uh, you know, you're much more selective. You don't need to bring in as much outside stock as as you uh, did, you know, the first couple of years. And, and so it's so important to pick a goal. I totally agree with Rebecca about, you know, claiming, uh, you know, whether this morph is something new and all of that. It has to be different. And everything she said, I, I totally agree with. I mean, it has to be that two plus two always equals four. It can equal mm-hmm. three. It can equal five. Two plus two equals four. And so, you know, uh, with people out there that want to breed, now, for the first time ever, in my whole experience of leopard geckos, a customer said, I have this amount of money to spend. Pick me out the nicest pair of geckos that money will buy that will breed together and make something really cool. And so a really nice pair of snow eclipse for $250, and like Rebecca was saying, you don't have to buy the highest end thing. For $250, they're getting a pair of snow eclipse, and each egg has a 25% chance of being a super snow eclipse. So they can make their own super galaxy. Uh, instead of buying one straight out, only getting one gecko for $500 to pay three, four, five hundred dollars depending on the quality of the uh, super snow eclipse that's in the marketplace right now, they can uh, breed their own and uh, mm-hmm. come up with some eclipse and some small, more snow eclipse and so forth. So I told this person, um, you know, send me $300, I'll send you a pair of snow eclipse adults and you can uh, make something really cool. So... There's ways to uh, reach your goals without a big budget, but you've got to have to know where you're going. Otherwise, like Rebecca said, it's like getting in a car and just starting it up. You don't know where you're going. You've got to know what you want. And so most people are just crazed over making something new, and they want to give it some crazy name right away, some combo morph or something. And so... You know, it, they just got to, I can't answer that for people. And like Rebecca was saying, I'm sure you run into it, Dave. You can't really say, you know, for someone, you can give them options and say, okay, this is the roadmap to how to get there. If this is what you want to do, it's going to take two generations. It's going to take 25 blanket boxes, a rack set up, and insects every week and all of that. So, but, you know, it's exciting. People, most of all, they want to hatch something. They want to see something hatch that they bred themselves. It's still a thrill for me. It's still a a thrill for Rebecca. And, you know, when I've got projects going, sometimes it's a whole year. I'm just living for one or two minutes for a whole year's work. And that's when I walk in. (laughs) Right, Rebecca? You walk in. Many weeks. In front of the yes. incubator. Right. And, <laughs> and, and, and waiting, and everybody's calling you crazy. 
Yeah, and I'm 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 just for this one act hatch. Right, and <laughs> and so you've just you know you see that one, and you know you got it, and there's just such satisfaction, and it's I would encourage anyone that wants to really have a thrill, to really carry out an interesting project, see it through to the end, and find out what that thrill is. It's a very big high, and and I do it for myself. It's like, you know, you were talking about, you know, different works of art that someone would want to hang in their house. I just do what I like, what pleases me as living art. If people want to buy it, that's fine. If they don't, that's fine too. And so, but, you know, I work all year long, hundreds of hours, thousands of animals for just one or two minutes of, of bliss when I really hit what I knew I could do. And so it's, it's, it's self-satisfaction. It's a, it's a neat thing. And It's a creative process, and my gosh, working with polygenics, I know we're going to go into that, um, Dave, and that's, uh, yep. that's a tricky prospect. Yep. All right. Well, listen, we're coming to this halfway point, and um, I want to let everybody know that in the second half of the show, we are uh, going to open the phone lines and take a few calls. Uh, I don't know how many calls we'll get to because we definitely want to cover – the different types of genetic traits that we have to work with. Some of these can be very confusing for people. So we're going to try to touch on them, the polygenics, the stripes, codons, and recessives, and, and, and whatnot. So uh, the call-in number to call in is 646-478-5331. Um, and we're going to play a quick sponsor plug, and we'll be right back, everyone. Stay tuned. Gecko Nation Radio is a David's Fine Gecko's creation and production. You can visit the show's Facebook page at Gecko Nation Radio. I also have a great family-friendly group on Facebook called Gecko Nation. Apply for membership today. Gecko Nation Radio is sponsored by abdragons.com. is your source for the highest quality doobie roaches. Whether you're starting a colony of your own or just need feeders for your insect-eating herps, abdragons.com can't be beat in quality or price. They are also a huge distributor of FlexWatt Reptile Heat Tape and have very competitive pricing. Check out abdragons.com online and on Facebook. And if you're looking for quality food for your dubia roaches, crickets, mealworms, and superworms, look no further than MS2 Premium Insect Chow. Made with reptiles in mind, it contains no dog food, cat food, or chicken mash. Using only vegetable proteins and high-quality ingredients, MS2 Premium Insect Chow will have your feeders making a beeline for it. Contact ms2ent.weebly.com or it can also be purchased at Rainbow Mealworms and AB Dragons. Rainbow Mealworms is the largest worm grower in the world and selling to the public since 1956. If you need the highest quality mealworms, superworms, and crickets for your pets, contact them at www. .rainbowmealworms.net Dale's Bearded Dragons is your one-stop source for any reptile supply products that you may need from Exoterra, Zoomed, Rapashi, Repcal, Fluker, and much, much more and all at 20-50% to 50% cheaper than your local pet store or big chain pet store. They are also the biggest reptile supply distributor at most of the Northeast Expos. 
contact them directly online at dalesbeardeddragons.com or message me on Facebook and I'll put you in touch with the owner. Gecko Boa Reptiles is your source for the highest quality leopard gecko morphs and wild types, from white and yellows to radars, amazing tremper morphs, and rare subspecies. John is a world-class breeder and extremely knowledgeable. If you're looking for something truly special in geckos, contact John Scarborough at geckoboa.com and on Facebook. Okay, everyone, we are coming back into the second half, and I also want to mention that we have added a few more great sponsors, one being Supreme Gecko, www.supremegecko.com. Wally's got a very wide array of amazing micro geckos and crested geckos. So if you, um, I know he's working on some leopard gecko projects as well. So if you're looking for some stuff that's a little bit more uh, obscure and less common, uh, definitely check out what Wally has. He also has a wide array of supplies and stuff that you'll need to feed your animals and keep take care of them. Um, OhioGecko.com, Thad, also the owner and moderator of GeckoForms.net, is uh, just a terrific breeder of tangerines. Whenever I go to see his table at the shows, his table is bright orange and greenish orange. He's got a lot of different, uh, you know, just amazing different, I don't know, different colors and patterns of tangerines. Some are more green, some are more orange, some got more of a reddish orange look, and he's got some great unique fat tail projects. So definitely check out OhioGecko.com, another proud sponsor of Gecko Nation Radio. Last but not least, and our newest sponsor is Reptiles Express. Reptiles Express is the best shipping company to use for your animal needs. If you are a breeder and you're starting out or a seasoned breeder and looking for the best rates on getting your animals to your customers, check out ReptilesExpress.com. Ask for Debbie, and she'll talk you through the process. Process It's very easy and uh just a, a terrific company to work with. Uh, it just gives me great peace of mind to know that they're there every step of the way, making sure that my animals are getting to where they need to go. All right, so we're going to come back now. We're going to talk about the different traits involved with making um, a wide array of leopard gecko morphs today. And uh, Ron was talking a little bit about the different uh, recessives and, and, and stuff that we have. We have about 17 or so uh, traits to work with, and uh, some of them can be really difficult and confusing to figure out the outcomes of. So I hope that some of our conversation in the second half here helps some of the beginners out there get a grasp on how these genes are going to work for you. Um, Having an idea of the outcomes of your projects is good uh, when you're starting out, so you don't waste uh, time. I mean, if you make mistakes one season, that is a whole season you're going to be losing, and that's that's a year uh, of your project. So I'm going to go ahead and bring back Ron and Rebecca Ron and Rebecca, are you with me? Yes, sir. Perfect. Okay. Great. Okay. I think, um, uh, I, I guess, uh, you know, I guess we could start simply and start with some of the, the beginning traits that we've had to work with. But then again, what comes to my mind is polygenics because I think polygenics tends to throw people off a lot. Where would you guys like to start? Well, why don't I start on that? I'll use the bandit as a, a point of reference. Okay. And there's, the, you know, the polygenic traits, uh, you know, when I first saw the, the first stripes, uh, leopard geckos, you know, I just figured it was going to be a genetic stripe. And I found out that it wasn't a genetic stripe, and it still isn't. Maybe one day we'll find a real genetic stripe and some of these other polygenic traits to be um, 
you know, locked in as recessives. But uh, one one thing is, you know, like with the bandit, I constantly am keeping religiously just, you know, sorting all my bandits and keeping only the very best quality ones. That's the only way to deal with keeping up the trait in a polygenetic line because if you don't breed the ones that are closest to, uh, you know, perfection, that is, for instance, the bandit, you want rich black, the band across the nose, the high contrast, the cream body color, the stocky build, the thick neck. Uh, if you just breed any bandits together, after about three or four generations, they just look like a, an, any old jungle leopard gecko. The genetics will wander away from your perfection pretty fast. The same thing's true of reverse stripe, stripe, some of these colors, um, and Rebecca can touch on some of those things she deals with. But the bandit, the key is to pick the very best ones. And so I only try to put up, I try to put up a variety of price, for instance, on my webpage of ones that are very representative. For instance, if you breed two bandits together that have the full mask, the band across the nose, and look really close to perfection, uh, you'll get like 80% of, of the offspring will be like the parents. And the key is to pick the best ones out of that. So people, a lot of beginners want to chastise me. Uh, how, why are you saying it's, uh, you know, hat, hat for stripe or hat for or bandit um, when it's not a true hat? Well, you know, we get tired of explaining. I think a lot of people do understand that. Uh, you know, you could put the word hat in quotes, but the fact of the matter is when you breed two, two bandits together, you, it acts like a recessive for many generations, you know, three or four generations, and uh, you do get uh, individuals that are identical to the uh, parents, uh, but you get quite a few that that are not along the way if you don't keep breeding the best examples. So, same thing with stripe. Uh, stripe is a tough one. I mean, you can breed. I mean, everyone's probably seen that picture of JMG's beautiful, uh, you know, orange striped animal that looks like it, it was something drawn in a, you know, by an architect. Uh, you know, it's just perfect lines and so forth. And I have some of the descendants of that animal here, and they'll be. It's a one of a kind. It, you know, probably could breed hundreds of thousands of that bloodline and maybe not ever see another one like that. So many things have to fall into place. It's like re winning the lottery. It's Some of these things are one-of-a-kind animals, and that's what makes it exciting but also frustrating. You could come up with something very unique. And uh, so, uh, you know, stripes, stripes are tough. Uh, you know, some there are some red stripe lines that, that where the stripes stay connected and are starting to look really good. You know, I, I think there's other breeders besides myself with red stripes, and uh, and some of that is looking close, and we may, you know, stumble upon, upon a genetic stripe just like there is in ball pythons. But uh, so polygenics is just, you know, 
kind of the poor man's recessive, and uh, they can be frustrating. And like in the reverse stripe, uh, you'll see it break into dashes. It, I do have a line of reverse stripes going right now that most every baby is a solid reverse stripe, but I need to test this out for a few years. I'm very careful about making any claims or letting things go out because of my reputation and because of just my own way of doing things. I want to make sure that, you know, 2 plus 2 equals 4. And so, mm-hmm. you know, the polygenic thing can be really tough. There's just so many people out there. It's it's pretty sad. They, they get, you know, obviously I see some bandit blood with the large head spots and and maybe a little bit of bold pattern, and they're calling it a bandit, and it's, you know, it's like a $35 gecko. It's, it's, it'd be a great pet and everything, but it's not a top-of-the-notch bandit, you know. I mean, it's mm-hmm. just not perfect, uh, not even close. And so a lot of people kind of shortcut, and maybe they don't understand, but maybe they do. But there's, it's just, again, doing your homework and, trying to buy the best things from the breeders that have perfected certain lines. Some of the biggest gecko producers in the world don't produce any morphs, zero. They just breed geckos. And, Mm -hmm. you know, so, you know, really, it's it's very difficult to do what Rebecca's doing and a number, number of other people. There's really not a single person in most of Asia, I can only think of one or two in all of Korea, Japan, Hong Kong, um, that is a serious you know, breeder and producing something different and coming out with something unique. So it takes time to build a reputation. Um, you know, we've been honest tonight with, all our remarks, and I don't want it, none of us wanted to, you know, discourage uh, people, you know, just do your homework. I mean, if you're you're going out to buy a car, you just don't run out with your hair on fire and with a bucket full of money and go to the first place that has a car for sale and think you're getting a car that runs well. And so uh, you got to apply that to your hobby or your interest and, uh, you know, there's lots of help out there, but um, yeah, the uh, polygenics is a trick, tricky one, and it takes a lot of self-discipline. I mean, you breed two albinos together, you're going to get albinos if they're both the same albino line. You're only going to get albinos. You breed two polygenic morphs together, and and you might get you know a zigzag stripe and a partial stripe and. Uh, a lot of times, stripe times stripe, you get jungles. You get a, a, a real apparent pattern uh, because it is polygenic and everything has to hit in line. I mean, it's just a miracle when you see a straight stripe that looks like it's been drawn with a ruler all the way to the tip of the tail or something. That's, that is very, very, very hard to duplicate. So you can come close. And there's some good lines out there, and uh, but that's uh, a polygenic thing. Always pick the best animals to breed together. Okay, yeah, no, that's that's fair. 
Um, we have a caller on the line, someone that we uh, someone that we all know. Uh, let's go ahead and grab caller from the four three two area code. You're live on Gecko Nation Radio. Hi Dave. Hi Ron. Rebecca. This is Daryl. What's up, Daryl? Hey. Hey. Hey Daryl. <laughs> I, I, I feel like I know you, Rebecca. I've listened to several of your your shows with David and others, and I really appreciate uh, the things that you say. And the way you do things, I wish I could purchase some of your animals. But so, with that being said, I just have to buy Rons and Daves and John Scarboroughs and people like that, which I I can't complain about those either. Uh, she can get you some over uh, some over here, right, Rebecca? You can send the animals here. Can't sure. You? I ship. Yes, I have shipped to U.S. and I do on more or less regular basis. If yeah. So I may have to do that sometime. I really like your. Your lavenders, those are really, really neat. Oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah, this is a, kind of a tricky project, as Ron already said. It's one step for, forward and a few steps backward, but, yeah. Right. Well, well Ron, I feel like you guys have been talking about me all night, talking about people in the acquisition mode and and going crazy, but um, <laughs> maybe I'm a little different. I've been down this road before, but it was in snakes, but... Uh, that's why, you know, I, I listen to you guys, and I, and I appreciate everything that you're saying. And I think the whole problem lies in the people that get into the industry, into the hobby, don't understand the genetics that's going on, and they just start buying animals, not thinking about, you know, what do I want to do, what do I want to produce. I, I think y'all are right. That's the key. Think ahead and plan. Or you can just be like me and you buy you buy straight stuff, you know, uh, like Ron, I've got that female bandits fixing to drop eggs any day. You know, the super tenangelos were breeding tonight. So, you know, I tend to keep everything pretty much pure. I haven't done anything crazy. I'm, I'm keeping, you know, everybody's stuff uh, breeding straight line, so to speak. So anyway, I, I really don't have a question. I'm just going to tell you, you know, thanks for all y'all do. Uh, the only one thing I would like to say is I, I remember one time listening to you talk, Rebecca, about a mentor program that y'all do, and I think that is uh, really a good deal, and, and I wish we could do something like that over here. I think that would help a lot of people. You know, not everybody think, wants to be a not, not yeah. everybody wants to be a breeder, but but the ones that do really want to breed geckos, I think that is really really good idea. Actually, I got some uh, requests from the U.S. and other countries uh, from Europe, so I decided to also make kind of online tutoring available for the ones that yeah, really want to uh, be guided through a project. So this will be in work, and it will be available. Great. Yeah, that's good. I, I, just, uh, I just pick Ron's brain and John and Dave and people like that, so I just – I get online and and bug them or talk to them on the phone, so they they probably get tired of hearing from me. But <laughs> never, never. <laughs> so okay, I, I, oh yeah, I, I need to call you, Ron, for sure. I've got a couple of questions on the on some of the things that I've gotten from you, so I need to I need to call and talk to you sometime. But guys, yeah. I appreciate all you do, and I, I just wanted to do that. I really don't have a question. Uh, I don't okay. really. I'm not. I'm not in the in the morph making business yet, I'm just breeding breeding stuff that you guys have already produced. 
that's cool though, Daryl. That's that's you're doing it the right way though. You're getting the good stuff and um, you're doing your homework and you're asking the questions. That's that's what's the most important thing. So um, it's actually refreshing for me and I'm sure to Rebecca and Ron when serious beginners come on the scene, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And you know, you know the, the thing that uh, makes Daryl different is first of all he's he's lived through the reptiles uh, for some years. You know, he's not. A young man, uh, although he looks like it, and uh, but uh, he uh, he's learned his his steps, you know, through the snake industry, and you can apply these, you know, same kind of foundational learning steps, and it's what's allowed him to jump right in with uh, and not make a bunch of terrible mistakes. Um, and you know, he's got a young young boy that's you know he's seeing this through his eyes now and enjoying all of that and. It's just so, you know, wonderful when they come to visit. I just love seeing them. And, but, you know, Daryl learned his staffs and learned that, you know, there's no shortcuts to having something success and having something nice. And, you know, and he's, he's, he's been able to find his way and, and jump in there and, and really enjoy himself. But, and, you know, anyone out there can do the same thing. There are plenty of breeders out there that will take the time to, uh, you know, answer your questions. I always, I do encourage everyone to read, you know, information that's out there, you know, proper care sheets, books, so forth, and do your homework so that you don't wear out uh, people like uh, ourselves with a lot of mundane and already known uh, questions, but we, uh, I, I answer every email I get, and I know that all of us trying to help everyone move through the minefield, but um, yeah, it's out there for anyone that wants it. Yeah. All right, Daryl, thanks for calling in. You bet, guys, and y'all, y'all have a good evening. All right, take care. Take guys. care, Thank you. Thank you, you too. Take care. Uh, I always like talking with Daryl. He's he's a great guy. Um, all right, we have a few more callers on the line, folks. Let's uh, go grab, grab another one here. Caller from the uh, see who's been on the longest. All right, caller from the two five three area code. You are live on Gecko Nation Radio. Hi, caller. You there? Two five three. Uh, hi, David. This is Elsa. Yeah. I, I didn't have a question though. I was just I was just lurking. I didn't know I hit the one. I'm sorry. Oh, that's no problem. I'll take the next caller. Thanks, Elsa. All right, caller from the six three zero area code. You are live on Gecko Nation Radio. <laughs> well, hello everybody. Hi, who's this? This is Carla Armstrong. I really hey, wish just listening because my computer is out. So, oh, okay. but I. I really appreciate all your information and all the hard work that you guys do. Um, I do. Um, I am a new person, and it, it, it's really informational for you to hold this kind of conversation as far as the Morse go. And I do appreciate oh. all the information and the hard work that you guys put into this. Oh, no problem, Carl. I appreciate you listening to the show. Thank you very much. Thank you. Okay. All right. We have another caller here. Caller from the, let's see, 316 area code. You are live on Gecko Nation Radio. 
Hey, guys. It's me, Angela. Hey, Angela. How are you? Um, hey. I've been better, but the week's getting hopefully better this coming week. <clears throat> okay. All right, um, cool. Yeah, things are looking up. Um, but actually, I had a actual question. Um, I was wondering, when you have something interesting or oddball pop up, um, and any of you could answer this, how do you decide whether you want to pursue it as a project? Is hmm, there a process you go through, or do you just go, hey, I've got the space, I'll play with it? Okay. Why don't, you, uh, why don't Rebecca, you take it, and then Ron, ladies first. Sure. I mean, as soon as it catches my eye, uh, I'll do it. <laughs> Honestly, this is a decision of the heart. I mean, um, and maybe it does not make much sense in my pastel projects picking one of the five pastels that looks, you know, a hint more green than yellow, but uh, definitely if something odd pops out and, and I feel for it, then uh, I definitely go for it. And also it happened, the reverse also happens that if I hatch out an oddball and, and it's really nice and I love it, but I have the feeling it's just not for me and I don't really have uh, the space of doing everything, so, so I need to cut at some point. And then I will, I'm looking for people that are interested in, in continuing maybe this project. And this is also a good advice that I can give to you guys instead of, you know, picking uh, your pectogeckos and, and breeding them together and hoping for something to appear. I mean, ask breeders like Ron or, or all the others around. I mean, almost everybody has one or two nice oddball geckos laying around that are waiting for a new home or that uh, are able or available for purchase under the right conditions, and, and uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure they uh, will be happy giving those animals to responsible people where they can be sure um, they are having a good home. Mm-hmm. I agree. How about you, Ron? Well, you know, I, I tell you... <laughs> I, I am a very determined person, and uh, I have launched some huge projects based on one scale on the body the, the size of a pinhead, you know, of color that I was interested in line breeding out, you know. Uh, sometimes these trails are dead ends. Um, I have uh, several interesting genetic things laying around here right now that would make a good project, but I I just don't know how far I can go with some of them. You know, some of it's experience. You just kind of know, okay, this is probably something I should, you know, work on. Uh, when you have limited space, it's really hard to decide, and so you have to do just what pleases you, Angela. You know, really... Um, because sometimes it's quick results. You see a little bit of color that you like, you breed that female back to its father, and boom, the very next babies are what you dreamt of. Sometimes it works that well, um, and it's something, you know, you're off to the races on with something very cool. Um, you know, uh, it used to be we only had, one or two colors on the tail, then three, and 
Now, you know, there's geckos with five colors on the tail. Some people are are into tails. And so there's headhunters, you know, and so uh, you have to do what pleases you. But generally, anything you see uh, can be improved on. Uh, it, we just don't know how long that will be. Now, Dave was talking about, um, you know, we were talking tonight about something new. And so I, I, I do get some beginners sometimes send me a picture of something and say, is this, am I just dreaming or is this something cool? You know, and the, this person from, you know, Eastern Europe sends me a picture of a, a red-eyed, you know, of a radar with, gold flecks all over the eyes, you know, like 50 gold flecks on the eyes, bright gold. And I said, yeah, you need to follow that. If I had that, I I would follow that, uh, that, that line. And so they're working on it. Uh, they don't really need my help, maybe a little encouragement, but they've got the animals and they're starting to duplicate this trait. So, you know, any small thing you see can be improved on. You know, and uh, you just have to, uh, you know, sometimes it's good to bounce it off a forum or someone you really trust, an opinion uh, that's objective and uh, can say, yeah, you know, that would be something you could could run with or, you know, this already happened six years ago and it's a dead end. Mm-hmm. I have uh, something I could probably add to this too, Angela. Um, just in the last few years of my breeding, I've been breeding, I don't know, several hundred. I probably have hatched at least uh, 600 geckos by now. And I have I do have quite a bit of these little oddball type things. I would say probably at the current time I have about eight of them. I have uh, the Diamondback. I have um, the smooth, the Smoothie. It's a gecko that has like a lot of reduced smooth, uh, reduced bumps on its uh, body. And uh I'm at the point where um, I have all these little side projects, and I'm aware that these little side projects are going to basically take, you know, 20 tubs next season to to uh, figure out. And I basically know that I don't have enough room to work with each one of these little little side endeavors that I have. So basically I'm at the point where, well, which ones do I want to hold on to and try to work with and which ones – do I pass on to others? And being that they're not proven and they're not known, how do I rightfully pass them on to another breeder? And, and what would I charge for them? And, and is it, you know, I'm at a, I'm at a quandary myself. Like, how do I proceed? So I guess I can add to Angela's question and pose this to uh, Rebecca and Ron. For a person like me that has these things, um, what I, they're not, I don't feel that they're worth just forgetting about i i feel that they're worthy of uh some investigation and some work what would you do with with extra projects like that that are not proven and uh you just can't do them all so to speak well i think that um dave you know you you just if you want to part with the animals you know you could um you know you could give, actually just give them away to someone that you know is promising, some young person that's really showed their, their you know, good intentions. Or you could just advertise them and, and say, hey, I'm selling these just at the price the morph is worth. 
but there there might be something here. You don't want to try to sell them for something that doesn't exist. So that's where you can hurt yourself because even if someone buys them, think you know, and you've been transparent, it'll come back to haunt you. And so you want to just say, here's a nice pair of snow whatevers or lavender snows. They have this little quality. It might be something to follow. Here's the kind of regular price. Have at it. And that's the way to keep your reputation out there. That's the kind of customer that will come back and give you credit for passing it on. Definitely. Understand. Okay. Okay, cool. Angela, does that answer your question? Yeah, that does. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Okay. Do you, do you have anything else for us tonight? No. <laughs> Thank you <laughs> okay. for calling. <laughs> okay. right, you guys have a great night. Bye-bye. You too. Cool. All right, we have quite a bit of uh, other callers on if you guys would like to take a few more. Well, what's on your list? I want to make sure we cover all our points. Okay, no, that's that's true too, sure. Um, all right, let's see. All right, we could talk about strategies. Um, well, hmm, we have a lot of different topics we get in on. Well, why don't we talk, we talked about the polygenics. Why don't we talk about um, what we know so far about stripes. Now, reverse stripes, stripes, and jungles. Maybe we can elaborate a little bit more on that. Because stripes is something today that confuses me. And I'll give you an instance where I had a, um, I have a group, uh, actually a pair here. One is a, uh, a jungle uh, bell albino gem snow. And the female is a banded normal that is het for radar. Now, when I pair this jungle male to this normal banded female, I have produced perfectly striped geckos. Incredible radars. It's my actually my two. I post the pictures quite often because I'm still just amazed by them. Um, and they have a perfect stripe from head to tail. And, it, and it's it's for someone that's new in this. It's they're gonna to wrap their head around how the stripe gene works in this case is it's it's hard to figure out. Um, and I, I'll be honest, I I don't completely understand it. So is it is there any way to predict the outcomes with stripes and reverse stripes, Ron? Well, I guess I'll give this one to you. Okay, okay. Uh, well, yeah. I mean, it kind of follows that if you notice that there's quite a few of the raptors have a striped tail. Have you noticed that? Okay. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, and so what happens is is that, you know, the, the patternless look, you know, it, can, it may be that the patternless look is really sort of when reverse stripe hits stripe and they kind of cancel each other out. Um, and so I, I've bred two jungles together and got stripes. I've, I've done that same kind of breeding uh, so that that stripe gene is there present and, you know, you can just luck out with it and, uh, you know, uh, that particular jungle is just carrying the trait that mat- matches up with the, with your patternless sort of, uh, a raptor animal and, uh, but, uh, you know, reverse stripes seems like one of the hardest things to, for me to keep 
going. And I, like I mentioned earlier, I have this line that's a lavender reverse stripe with high high yellow sides, and um, it's it's very impressive and it's breeding really nicely true. And uh, I'm going to run with that, and I've, I've supersized it. But uh, you know, Rebecca deals with a lot of polygenics, and and she didn't get to comment about you know some of the polygenics she's working with. Maybe she can uh, touch in on your on your stripe fiasco. Okay, sure. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely, Rebecca. Go ahead. <laughs> Um, yeah, I'm not really sure where to start, so maybe you better ask me a question. Well, um, in your a, experience... A specific one. Sure, sure. In your experience, um, what are your observations working with stripes? And um, have you been able to basically, um, I guess the word is reproduce consistent stripes in some of your projects? And... Uh, What's your experience working with stripes? That depends That's... on the striping. <laughs> <laughs> um, I haven't tried, actually. I mean, first of all, I think it's very important of what I can say and what I can't. I mean, I, I can't really say that I have tried producing a reverse stripe line. I just hatch them occasionally. And uh, whenever I pair two reverse stripes, I never ended up with, you know, yeah, just reverse stripes. It's just like like Ron says. It's um, a wild variation between the jungle gene, the normal stripe, sometimes even into a bit bold stripeish direction, and then again the the reverse stripe. But the only stripes that seem to produce pretty constantly when breed to each other uh, are the lavender stripes. But those are really okay. the the ex- and if you outcross them, what I have to do. So I think this is really a topic or a point that I also want to touch whenever we are here talking about, you know, everybody's dream of designing new things and so on. But, but it's really important to not be kennel blind and, and just to follow your goal in, in, in phenotype, but also being willing to take a step back in order to do the best for your animal's health. You really want to avoid too much inbreeding, or let's say it like this, you want to avoid inbreeding depression. And some lines tend to be more having having uh, almost no problems with this. Some lines are a bit more tricky. So it's also a point where your gut feeling and experience comes in. But um, I think that whenever you're dealing with a topic of outcrossing and, and improving and your try of improving uh, general health and, and fertility in your collection, you have to um, be aware of the fact that the results will probably uh, not as good as, as in the outcrossing generation as in the last generation. So basically that's why I always call my lavender projects one step forward and a few steps backward. It would be pretty easy, I think, uh, just to, to focus on, on the color, but this would get me very soon to a dead end where, where I clearly don't want to uh, end up. So I really am concerned about this topic and, and really take great care doing outcrossings or developing several lines um, or types. 
So I have these different impulses that I can, you know, um, fuse when I have the feeling that the gene pool gets too close again. So, of course, uh, you will have generations where you will see pretty nice results or the results are mostly always nice, but, you know, nicer and closer to your original or final goal, and then you will have generations where you just take a step back and it's okay if they don't express 100% of the color or pattern or trait that the last generation did. So. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Um, Ron, here's a good question, and this is something that uh, sometimes new people um, have difficulty understanding or wrapping their head around. With leopard geckos, um, it's okay to uh, breed siblings together and inbreed uh, for several generations. And um, some people like are, are they just can't understand why that's okay. But maybe you can put it into a scientific uh, way uh, of understanding for them. Sure. Well, first of all, let's just talk about what happens in nature, and that is, you know. There's natural selection and survival of the fittest and all those sort of terms. But uh, leopard geckos, you know, don't have, you know, big home ranges. Uh, probably there's a lot of uh, inbreeding uh, happening uh, within the center of, of, of a colony and out on the fringes of how far an animal might wander is where new recruitment occurs from other genetic lines and little individual populations and so forth. And, uh, you know, no one knows exactly what the home range of a wild living leopard gecko is, but if you compare it to, you know, the banded geckos, the coleonics, the United States, and some of these things, uh, we're talking, you know, the size of your living room may be, where the animal lives its whole life. And so it probably, the fact that, uh, you know, you'll see a number of similar colored animals come in on a wild importation, you know, they could easily be related. But uh, because of good nutrition, because of recruitment from the fringes of these colonies, the animals stay strong, and of course, if they don't, they don't live to reproduce. Now, we re- we eliminate all these sort of pressures. Uh, we're you know capitalizing on on things that are really sort of genetic errors, um, and uh, Rebecca's exactly right. There's some lines of leopard geckos that the morphs have been so uh, inbred and line bred that you start seeing problems with uh, shortened tails, uh, kinks in the last half inch or one inch of the tail, uh, uh, split nostrils where there's a, a, a groove from the nostril down to the upper jaw. And these things are, are, are traits that, you know, need to be eliminated. Um, I see no value in in just breeding animals for breeding animals. And I see, I, I could have created uh, tailless leopard geckos a long time ago, 
but I chose not to. Uh, so it's important uh, about every five generations here, I outcross and will put in, you know, a different line. If it's an albino morph that I've been breeding for five generations, I'll outcross to another kind of line of albinos. Um, I have to be careful here because for 36 generations, I've had very little recruitment into the building, into the colony, very, very little. And so I have to watch for for problems, this sort of uh, issues like uh, Rebecca was talking of, the depression and, and uh, breeding weaker animals. And so uh, that's important. So, you know, it's a lot to digest. The beginners hearing all these things about you know, what to do and finally reach your goal. And then it's pretty hard to take your beautiful animals and breed it to a normal-looking leopard gecko just to strengthen the line. But it's essential, uh, you know, we could all wake up one day and, and find out that we're missing some some morphs here. And, um, you know, that, that, oh, I thought you had that morph. No, I, I got rid of those three years ago. And, you know, and some... Some genetic lines will come and go, and um, but uh, it's it's really already happened sadly to some really nice morphs. Yeah, exactly. It has, and it it what will happen? You know what we've seen because we're in the loop, and we know what's going on. There'll be someone that comes up with a kind of a cool color mutation and breeds a lot of them and just kind of gets, and then something happens in that person's life, and and they sell their geckos, or they lose them in a fire or something, and, and something can be lost forever. I mean, um, this, you know, I was on my way with my all-black geckos, you know, uh, 12 years ago when I left them with a, a part-time worker, and uh, they killed them all drowned them all and didn't feed them for three weeks. So I lost, and I've never, I had the entire genetic group together. There was no way to recreate it. Everything was there. And wow. Yeah, and so it's just frightful. It's worst nightmare. <laughs> yeah, really, really frightful. And for some I've, reason, it's always the most precious ones that die, isn't it? <laughs> It's always those accidents, the one gecko that es escapes, the one gecko that was eaten by the cat, it's always the gecko. <laughs> so yeah. I think this is uh, also a point when we're talking about frustration. Keep your favorite geckos safe and sound and, and lock, knock them in, in <laughs> or knocks or whatever, because if anything can ever happen to these animals, it probably will. So I learned that the, the very hard way. <laughs> over oh, yeah. yeah. You know, you know, Rebecca, that uh, that other gal that breeds geckos there in Germany, Melanie B. She calls herself, and and uh, she wanted a, a beautiful emerine of mine uh, two years ago, and and I and I had it up about oh five five and a half six feet up a, a rack, and I was taking it out, and it jumped out of my hands, and it fell down, you know. <gasps> oh no! And it hit its head, and is not okay. never recovered. I still have the gecko, and 
I, I felt so bad, you know, uh, I was just so frustrated. And so, uh, you know, she, she learned to eat on her own and everything. But, you you know, yeah, when you talk about accidents, oh, my gosh. But, yeah, it's a, it's a tough road. But um, anyway, um, these all these things are just part of what the uh, serious horse breeders go through and the, even the flower breeders and the bird breeders, the fish breeders. Oh, my gosh. You know, and we can talk about, you know, really we've kept the confirmation of leopard geckos. Pretty much they look the same. Some morphs have a heavier tail, a heavier head. We all know that, a little stouter body. But they all pretty much look proportionally like the original leopard geckos. But look at all the purebred breed of the dogs. We have all these different morphs, of genetic morphs of dogs from, you know, that are born without tails, that are short, stocky, like an English bulldog, to a Saluki, to a, you know, German Shepherd. And I imagine one day somebody's going to start making, you know, different body configuration leopard geckos. Uh, sure. Always been, already been a hint of that. I can add something to this topic. I'm always yeah. amazed by the fact that so many people, or 99% of the people, are just looking for color. And nobody ever considers that you can also tell some lines by the shape of their head and just yeah. the way, you know, the eyes are shaped and then the body conformation. And so yeah. this is definitely something that even sets some of the tangerine lines apart. I mean, I can clearly tell my electrics apart from anything else and even the crosses. It's like with those horses, these uh, Arabian horses, they just right. have this kind of unique, sharp-shaped head that's even present in, in the crosses that I do. So yeah. there's for sure, I, I totally agree with you, Ron, and this is what makes it so fascinating, and, and I can just repeat what, what, what you said before, and it's so sad that we didn't have a camera because I really lightened up there uh, while you were speaking. It was like, oh... Yeah, <laughs> that's truly the reason why we are here. That's truly the reason why uh, why it's so much fun uh, uh, caring for these geckos and, and doing all what we do and going through all the difficulties and troubles and, and time and et cetera. Um, yeah, you're so, there are just so many things that you can do with them. And there are so many things that are still out there to be done. So we are not even finished. Not at We're all. We're just getting started, right? Exactly. Yeah. Everybody thinks, oh, it's a dead end or something. But believe me, uh, there's a lot more exciting things to come. And any color and pattern and size is possible. And so that's what keeps it intriguing, huh? Yeah. For sure. No, absolutely. Well, um I, I something specific I'd like to ask you about Rebecca is your uh, your Diamondback project, and uh, that's something you and I have in common in a sense. <laughs> uh, what's going on with that? Yeah, I, I wish I could tell, but you know, I'm always the person that that really likes to you know shut up before I can say anything. So. This, mm -hmm. Those two babies that I was talking about from the cross of, of the son back to the mother, they are just growing up. And it seems that one is getting a similar pattern, but it's 
you know, it's really developing. And right now I can't say anything for sure. I just don't think that with just one generation, no matter how um, the results will be in phenotype, uh, I don't think at all that I can say anything about this just one generation. You really have to breed two or three generations in order to see where it's going and how many of them are showing the trait and how good they are showing the trait and if we can even reproduce an example as perfect as uh, the original mother. So, yeah, it's, it's always a project, and a project in my stock is always, you know, something nice but work in progress. And mm-hmm. so I would really mm-hmm. con- um, consider or advise people to use the term project for everything like this, which is nice and, and fun and uh, not proven right now, and really align for something uh, where people can agree that uh, over several generations, I think yeah, two or three should be the minimum um, to reproduce this uniqueness. So. Okay, yeah. I wish I wish you a lot of luck with that. It's, it's just like Ron said, it will be a long, long wait for this X, the next X to appear and to hatch, and I will be sitting like crazy before the incubator <laughs> just for this one minute. So yeah, yeah, me too. This season, I'm I'm looking forward to it. I'm going to be bringing my male Diamondback to uh, to his siblings, to his two sisters, and uh, hopefully we'll we'll be able to reproduce it. We'll see. Um, I'll, I'll keep everybody posted on that. Um, all right. Well, we're we're getting towards the end of the show. I think we have time to get one more caller in. Let me go ahead and grab a caller from the 775 area code. You're live on Declination Radio. Hey, everybody. This is Jeremy. Hi, Jeremy. How Hi, are Jeremy. You? Good. Hey, How are Jeremy. you? Good, good. What can we do for you tonight? Good. Rebecca, I have a question about the ghosts. I'm still not real sure on how the ghost works with other genes or or if it's its own thing, say something more like a white and yellow, and it's just kind of been pushed to the wayside in in favor of the white and yellow because it does more, the white and yellow does more for the coloring of certain, uh, say, say, tangerines and bells and stuff like that. So with the ghost, what exactly does that do? I've also seen it, the ghost called um, almost like a creamsicle where it's a max snow, a hypo max snow or a tangerine max snow. Okay. Uh, first of all, I have to say that it's very important to separate the a genetic ghost or the animals that at least that are in my stock that I personally have seen and, and have watched them um, reproduce over the last years since 2005. And some other animals that might look similar to the ghosts but do not reproduce in this way. I mean, um, I highly recommend reading the article on Gecko Time. Uh, because um, I have written an article exclusively for the ghost trait, and I explained there in detail some of the genetic markers. I mean, it's surely... The ghost gene really is something that um, shows traits that you can find in other lines too, but you can't find them all together. So I hope that you get you understand what I mean. 
Yeah, yeah, uh, I'm getting it. I'm, I, I definitely would say that the always. ghost has a very strong tendency, I mean, to, to change the appearance of or to add a unique look to whatever you cross them into because we have seen this effect in, in all raptors, in the Montana's line, we have seen it in the Lavender line. I have crossed them in the, just a comparison. I have bred Mexno ghost lavenders for many years and they are getting better and better. But um, the Mexno ghost, for example, they are significant, uh, significantly different from the normal lavender Maxnos because the ghost gene tends to uh, keep the lavender at least a while longer and, and helps the lavender color to express to a higher amount. And um, our ghost lavenders, if they lose the lavender color, they will get green. And they are visually totally different from Maxno that just fades and gets, you know, yellow. And now we have the Lionbred Snow gene that we used to you know, exchange for the Max No gene, so to speak, in our collection this year. And it's completely different. I got, I mean, yeah, hmm. I'm stumbling right now because I want to say what I can actually prove and not what I think. <laughs> I always try to, to uh, you know, stick to the points that I'm pretty confident about. So let's just say that the line bread snow ghost is, totally different from the Maxno ghost, which was very surprising for me, actually. And uh, animals of the same size and age um, seem to show uh, some unique things. For example, the Lionbred Snow uh, ghost lavenders, or the one that I have so far, he's showing all of his lavender colors. He hasn't lost one spot. He's not green at all. He's just simply around 30 grams and just pure white and and purple with black spots. So I don't think I could have ever accomplished something like this in, in just um, a pure uh, lavender line. Okay, cool. All right, thanks, Jeremy, for following in. Thanks, Dave. All right. Okay, we're coming to the end of the show, and I want to give each of you, each of our guests tonight, a chance to... Um, leave us with some closing remarks. Uh, since you just left off, uh, Rebecca, I'll let Ron go first. Um, Ron, what, what would you like to leave the listeners with for this discussion? Well, I always say two things to people that write me, uh, that we're all in this together and to have fun. And I'm really serious about that. Um, you know, I'd make a living, you know, next month will be 31 years. I've made a living with no other assistance by captive breeding. And, uh, you know, people can find a lot of joy. I think one of the most touching things that's happened for me in the last years is I got a letter uh, from a guy that came back from the Afghanistan war, and he said that... Uh, reading my book and getting interested in leopard geckos saved his life, that he was suicidal and suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder. And uh, so for me, it's people first. We're all in this together. Anyone can make their mark. Just keep it fun. It's not the end of the world. And I always tell people there's always more geckos. That's cool. That's, that's, that's good, Ron. All right. Thank you very much. And I want to thank you so much, 
for giving your time to us tonight and to all the listeners. It's uh, It really means a lot to me personally, and uh, I'm sure everybody out there is very pleased that you were able to help us tonight. So thank you. My pleasure, for sure. Okay. Rebecca, please, uh, your turn now. Yes. I definitely agree with everything that Ron said. It's in those times, and especially in a time where um, some people are trying to get reptiles banned, it's so important to remember all the wonderful things that they do in our community, in our homes, and also what they can, which role actually amphibians and reptiles play in our understanding of um, nature ecosystems and which important part they play in educating our children and the next generation, which uh, really leads me to the next point. I definitely want to encourage everyone, every listener tonight, to uh, go for a project if he uh, think that this is what he wants to do. Don't panic. It's all good. The information is out there. Just take your time. Be, you know, open for input from other breeders that have been here in the scene for a long time, like Ron, and are willing to share his knowledge and, and the, the knowledge with you. And um, just, yeah, um, don't also uh, try only to look for the next new stuff, but also uh, maybe you want to risk um, a look into the old great stuff out there um, and do what we do, uh, um, meaning the, um, trying to enhold some of the great, great bloodlines that we already have and that are around here for years for future generations to enjoy. Very well put, Rebecca. I agree, yes. All right, great. Um, this was a terrific episode. I think we really touched on a lot of the, uh, the, the things that new people are going to be facing when deciding to get involved with morph making, and um, I'm sure everyone out there is going to have a ton of more questions. And uh, just like Ron and Rebecca said, research is that important. And uh, if, you, if you're really serious about this, the Internet is great for getting tidbits of information here and there. You can't always trust what you, what you read, though. So investing in a book, I recommend uh, Ron Trepper's book, Leopard Geckos, The Next Generations, as a great starting point to get all the information you need to get started with these terrific animals. And, Ron, when is the, um, the app going to be updated? Is that happening soon? Oh, my gosh. I wish. You know, some of the contributors were slow getting photos in and, and uh, uh, it wasn't either of you two, but you both uh, contributed nicely. But it's taking some time, and now I'm leaving in a few days for a big trip and, and all. But, uh, you, you know, I'm always one to get things done, and I'll, it's going to be a nice update when it happens. And so maybe the okay. next, uh, maybe in May, I think it will happen. Oh, I can't wait. It's really something I'm looking forward to. That's going to be great. All right. Awesome. All right. Well, good night, Rebecca. Thank you so much for staying up late to talk with us, and I hope to have you back I want to thank you, too, both of you, so very much for taking your time and giving me the great honor of being part of your show tonight. You're very welcome. We're so happy to have you. Thank you. All right. (laughs) uh, All right. Good night, King Ron. Thanks again. 
All right. All right, guys. Take it easy. I had a great time. We're we're doing it. All right, cool. <laughs> Night, everybody. All right, well, I'm not going to go just yet. I'm letting uh, Ron and, and Rebecca go. I'm going to play the outro, and I'm going to come back with, our, with my uh, closing remarks. Gecko Nation Radio is a David Fine Gecko's creation and production. You can visit the show's Facebook page at Gecko Nation Radio. I also have a great family-friendly group on Facebook called Gecko Nation. Apply for membership today. The jazz music you heard tonight was generously donated and created by Jeremy Turgeon of J&D Reptiles. Thank you very much, Jeremy, for the great musical pieces. You can check out Jeremy at J&D Reptiles on YouTube and on Facebook. And a very special thank you to our news anchor, graphic designer, and audio tech, Steve Barker. All the graphics, audio sponsor plugs, and music overlays were assembled by Steve. Check out Steve on YouTube at BC Barker Creations. He has some terrific videos for the herb community with amazing geckos and snakes. Please support the U.S. Herpetocultural Alliance and U.S. ARC. Gecko Nation Radio is proud to support both of these organizations. Please donate to U.S. ARC so that they have the funds needed to legally protect pet owners' rights nationwide. You can donate to the U.S. ARC Legal Defense Fund at www.usarc.org. If you would also like to learn about advocacy and how you can take action on a state and local level, please subscribe to the U.S. Herpetocultural Alliance newsletter and blog at www.usherp.org. Okay, everybody. I just want to thank all the listeners and the callers uh, that called in tonight to listen, that listened and called in for tonight's show. Um, I, you know, I had the feeling towards the end of the show that we really could have uh, kept going and talking about more and more. There's so much more uh, that, that goes into morph making and designing of morphs. And, um, you know, two hours in a broadcast just isn't enough. So I'm sure we can put together in the future another episode, Morph Making Part 2, uh, for, for the roundtable discussion to get more information out to all of you. I just really seriously want to stress uh, the fact that if you're interested in morph making, to uh, definitely start with Ron Tremper's book. It's a great place to get all the information you need on breeding, keeping geckos, um, morph making, designing morphs, and even starting a, a gecko breeding business. Uh, it's all in there. He doesn't hold back any of his secrets. Uh, you know, and, and another thing is I don't want beginners to feel like uh, this is out of reach or uh, designing something new is, is like an impossible thing because it really isn't. I mean, it will take you years. Don't get me wrong. But if you learn how to do it and you, um, you know, get the husbandry aspects down, you will be able to do it. There are people out there that are working on very subtle variations of existing morphs that are uh, becoming quite popular. So one that comes to mind is uh, Thad from Ohio Gecko's line of uh, uh, super snows, the snows that are just very reduced patterned and very interesting. And these are things that anybody can really work on. And if, if you see something unique in a particular line or morph that you like, I challenge you and I encourage you to go for it because it's a lot of fun. And uh, that's what we're all in this for. The genetics is everything when it comes to serious breeding of any animal. And uh, it's also the most exciting and most intriguing thing. Like I said in the beginning of the show, uh, in a lot of ways I'm still a beginner in this. And 
even though I'm several years into my projects. But um, it's so exciting. And, you know, when you see those eggs hatch and all your work, your hard work over the past season comes to fruition, it's there's no other feeling uh, to describe it. And if you haven't experienced it, you have to try to experience it at least once. Because if you experience it once, you'll be hooked for life. And with that, if you're out there and you're hooked on leopard gecko morphs or you're hooked on uh, breeding reptiles or any animal for that matter, get someone else involved. Don't keep all the fun to yourself. All right, everybody out in the Gecko Nation, I hope you enjoyed this episode. It was a very fun one for us to do. And uh, I'll see you guys in the group. Until next time.